0: Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders, inside
1: and outside the sciences, share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Conner. Hey everyone, you all know that I think conversations are really important. In fact, it's a theme for this year as I shift toward helping organizations create audio content to grow their audiences. Hosting this podcast has helped me, but there are still some situations where I struggle. My guest today will help us all learn how to guide our conversations with our bosses, our friends, and our clients to get mutually beneficial results. Before we start, I want to remind you, you have about one week left to register for the ACPLS annual meeting happening this October in San Francisco, at a ridiculously low price. So low they won't let me say it on the radio. All right, it's $649. Don't let your boss tell you there's no budget for that. And it's fully refundable until September 10th because I'm sure you don't know yet what your schedule is. So you should sign up now, save money, and then decide later. The price goes up February 1st. I've already registered, and I'll be disappointed if I'm not using my new conversation my new conversation skills on you there. So sign up. Now, let's jump into it. Today, I'm speaking with Phil M. Jones. Phil has made it his life's work to demystify the sales process, reframe what it means to sell, and help his audiences to learn new skills that empower confidence, overcome fears, and instantaneously impact bottom line results. He's the author of five international best selling books and the youngest ever winner of the coveted British Excellence in Sales and Marketing Award. Phil, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio.
0: Hey, Chris. Yeah, great to be here.
1: All right. So, we were introduced, uh, fortunately, through Tamson Webster, who was my guest in the last episode. And today, we're, we're talking about the art of conversation as it relates to marketing, to sales, networking, or just making new friends. So let's start with this. Why should we all think about improving our conversation skills?
0: Um, yeah, great question, really. I think the art of conversation is one that is being, being lost as time and time goes by. And there are far too many people who want to hide behind written word or email or look to be able to put things in the post to people. And it's changing the way in which we fundamentally communicate. Why should we be focusing on conversations? Well, conversations lead to relationships. Relationships create opportunities. Opportunities lead to sales. And I could replace that word sales with outcomes, with success, with leadership, whatever it is we might mean. But if we're looking for something to happen, normally it's a conversation that is required in order to be able to move something from a maybe or an indecision towards actually having some absolute certainty. And it's our ability to be able to engage in effective conversation that can assist so many people through a decision-making process and allow you as an individual to get more of the things that you would like. I love that. (laughs) My
1: head is spinning with all the things I would like to get and probably all the missed opportunities
0: because it just didn't frame it right. You got it. Too many people are just missing things because when the perfect moment occurs, they just find themselves lost for words and that moment passes them by. So I spend the bulk of my time trying to help people make more of those moments and in turn, more of those conversations really count. Right. So some folks
1: will feel comfortable with com- in some conversations, uh, in some settings, but not in others. So for example, I personally struggle starting a conversation at a networking group where perhaps there's three or four people standing around. You'll often see me standing, you know, just outside <laughs> of that group. Why is it that uh, some people feel comfortable in one, one place and not another?
0: Um, I think it comes down to self-confidence, right? That's what we're talking about here. And the fearful thing when you're stepping into a room full of strangers is the understanding and awareness that you're being judged, but you're not sure who you're being judged by, which creates an added pressure is you understand they're looking at you thinking, who are you? What are you about? But you know nothing about the other person. So you don't know whether you're trying to impress them, whether you're trying to ignore them or whether there is anything else that's in between. So take that networking scenario where you step into, you're guaranteed to make no friends by looking at your phone and hiding in the corner. But a surefire way of being able to make sure that what you don't do is enter a busy room full of people is to be one of the people that's first. So get to the event earlier than anybody else. And then what happens is people come start conversation with you more effectively. You get to be speaking with the organizers and you're seen as somebody with more authority before anybody else gets there. Uh, I, I really
1: like that. And yeah, I've heard that uh, maybe in a slightly different angle on it is now you're the person who's greeting people coming through the door. Right.
0: And, and, and we've got to know where to start those conversations, right? That, that's the hardest yeah. place to start. Understanding that you're being judged means that what you've got to do is to try and start the conversation in a safe place. And I find it fascinating, Chris, that you talk about you know, yourself maybe slightly nervous in that scenario. So are the majority of other people. So what you're actually looking at is how do you start a conversation with somebody else who is equally as uncomfortable as you are? And the risk of this conversation is without having any framework or somebody taking control, it jumps straight to the finish line in a conversation too clunkily and too early that actually makes the pressure and the anxiety attached to that conversation worse. We need to be comfortable starting in a safe place. And a safe place you can always start a conversation is in something that you both have in common, Right. That's why you'll find a number of conversations easier is because there's already a framework or a boundary around what you can talk about. And that framework gives you confidence to be able to perform within it. It's almost freedom within fences. In a networking environment, the one thing that you can guarantee that you both have in common is the location itself. So if you start by asking questions, because questions create conversations, conversations create relationships, relationships create opportunities. It's only those opportunities that lead to success. We need to know some great questions. What do we ask questions about? The one thing we have in common, which is the location. So you could ask, you know, whereabouts have you traveled from today? How did you get here? Who else do you know? What was it that prompted you to choose to come to this event today? Any of those kind of questions are easy to answer. The other person thinks, I know this. <laughs> right? And they feel empowered to be like, come back in it. And they ask the same of you. And view it like a game of tennis. Before somebody keeps starts keeping score in a tennis match, People will often just knock the ball all backwards and forwards over the net a few times with a soft and gentle rally before anybody starts taking anything too seriously. Do the same in a networking event where you allow the conversation to pass from one to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, allowing both people to feel each other out. You can then decide if that conversation is worth investing any further in.
1: Right. So. Let's imagine we get this conversation warmed up and we decide, okay. And and naturally many of them aren't. And, um, so actually let's jump aside from that. So what if it isn't, how do I get out of it? What's a smart way to do that? (laughs) Well, how to get out of a conversation. Yeah. How to move along to say, oh, I don't, you know, you, you realize this conversation, this person isn't maybe the someone at a networking event where you have some objectives, isn't a person that, um you're going to take a conversation farther with,
0: how do you move away from it? Well, you just change the tense of the conversation. There's a few ways you can do this. So the minute you could just change the, so what I could say to you, Chris, if we were talking and I wanted to get away, I could hold my hand out and say, Chris, it's been a pleasure meeting you today. Right. The minute I move it to past tense, we both know this is over and we punctuate the conversation allow it to move on. Another way in which we could be able to do the same is that we could insert the name of the person that we're speaking to again and then have somewhere else we need to be. So hi Chris, it's been great catching up. I need to speak to Steve. I've been meaning to catch up with him. I promised him some of my time today. So I step on over to to Steve. Or I could have my get out of jail free card, which is the I need to use the bathroom. Now that's fine guy to guy. (laughs) It's fine guy to girl. But girl to girl listening in right now, then expect the other person to come with you. (laughs) that's good so now
1: yeah you've uncovered all my weaknesses at a networking event okay so we've warmed up we've got the tennis ball moving back and forth across the net um now we want to get to we're getting down to business some trying to move towards some
0: relationship and an opportunity what happens then well what we really want to be able to do is we're back to that judgment piece And in a judgment scenario, we're still not sure who we're speaking to. So I would play the game of tennis until there's a question that's almost guaranteed to be asked of you. And there's a question that's asked in 98% of conversations with a stranger. That is a version of, so what do you do then? The difficulty is, in most circumstances, when you're asked what do you do, you find yourself completely flummoxed, not knowing what it is that you do, and your mind goes blank. So some gargled mess comes out your mouth. And the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment that you're saying it. So you need to have a good answer to the so what do you do question because this is the thing that leads you into opportunity. It's highly unlikely that you're going to tell somebody what you do and they go, aha, I've been waiting for you my whole life, here's a check. But what it should do is it should be able to lead somebody into asking you a few more questions if they have an interest about what you're about. Trouble I find, though, is that when most people get asked a question, so what do you do, then they respond with a literal answer. So what do you do then? Well, I'm a certified professional accountant. What do you do then? I'm an architect. What do you do then? Well, I'm a psychologist, I'm a psychiatrist. The minute you put a label on what it is that you do, expect instant judgment from the other person who's gonna put you in a box and never break you from that box. What we're far better to do is to give story-based answers to what it is that we do. We can do this in one of a couple of ways. You can give a very simple story-based answer by flipping the question in your mind. So when somebody says, so what do you do? rephrase the question in your own mind to how do you help people and answer the how do you help people question explaining who the people are that you help. Now what happens is that story-based answer gives the other person the ability to be able to picture the you doing what you do and can see it slightly better. Alternatively, we could give a longer answer that would have more of a problem focused. Here we'll create context for it ahead of time. So say for example, you are an architect, but you have a particular specialism within domestic property. You could say, well, you know how most people at some point in their life will find themselves looking to make some form of home improvements on a property that they own, right? So a mutually agreeable statement, yeah. but never know what to turn, what to do first, or how to be able to put their contractors together. Well, yeah, I get all of that. But what we do is we work at the start of that process, helping people visualize their ideas, get them down on paper, draw accurate budgets together so that the house of their dreams becomes reality. You
1: know what I like? So, uh, the first example you give, like the, I help this type of person with this type of thing is the one I think most of us have heard before. And sometimes it's hard to make those sound natural. What I like about the second example you give is, Hey, you know, that problem (laughs) and and they agree, you've already put it in their head and it just sounds more natural to me. Like have you ever seen this happen?
0: (laughs) Well, Well, what, what we're doing here is, is, is everything about successful communication in these environments is all about permissions and controls. What you said at the start of today's conversation was how you're remarkably confident in some circumstances, but lacking confidence in others. And it's about the room that you're in. But we can create rooms in our conversations by again, putting these fences up and correcting these boundaries. The positioning statement that I made at that beginning And the check back that I got from the other person, even be it through eye contact or body language, where they're like, yeah, I I get that scenario, is the thing that gives me permission to then be able to subtly brag a little bit about why I might be good at what I do. But without creating that context first, you could sound pushy, or the other person is reaching too far to try and understand what we're talking about and has failed to get the point, which then creates a debate. Yes, yeah. And the debate is the conflict that everybody wants to run from. Yeah, uh, here's what
1: resonates for me with that: that whole permission versus control thing. That exactly describes how I feel in those situations. So if you put me in front of a large group, or like right now, I'm in control of a podcast. I, I absolutely. But when I go into a room where there's other people, I don't feel yet like I've been given permission. So that that really illustrates well you know, what you're trying to do for the other person and what you're hoping they will do for you.
0: What you're trying to do is to find your angle. And in my book, Exactly What to Say, I can give you some examples of being able to put yourself into that permission straight away. So you run a podcast, okay? And there might be a lot of people who don't necessarily have an understanding of what podcasting is all about. They'll ask you the, so what do you do question, and you want to tell them about your awesome show, right? right? That could be a thing. You need to get permission to step into that. So let me lift some words from my book. And if you've got somebody where you're uncertain of where their level of expertise exists currently sits on the thing, you could say, well, what do you know about the world of podcasting? The minute you say, well, what do you know about the world of podcasting? And you then get your answer. Your next answer about the thing that you do is actually got some context and an angle. If somebody says, Oh, I've been listening to podcasts for years. These are my favorites. Bam, 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 bam. You're going to answer it differently to somebody says, I think I've heard of that. (laughs) Yes right? And we're back down to that permission. It's the person who's asking the questions that's in control of a conversation. And when you're asked a question, don't feel that you're obligated to give the answer. You're obligated to respond. And if you respond with a question, you continue to maintain control of that conversation, and you can steer it towards the predetermined outcome that you want, which means you should never, ever guess. Now, I don't know, Chris, are you married? The day you asked the question of your wife, assuming that it was done that way, Were you reasonably sure of the answer? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah? It wasn't a stab in the dark. It wasn't a roll in the dice. You had pretty high levels of confidence that you were going to get the response that you were looking for because you'd done the work ahead of time to give you that level of confidence. The same is true that if we're ever making a risky question, either towards a sales piece of business, towards somebody giving us a new job, towards somebody creating an opportunity for us within the workplace, or a friend or family member helping you out with something, we should only ask the big question once we've done all the small bits ahead of time that mean we're pretty darn certain we're going to get the outcome we're looking for. Right. I like it.
1: Um, let's talk about, so conversations with our boss. For example, if I need buy-in on an idea, how do you
0: suggest people approach something like that? Okay. Well, before you look at any form of approach, and I do a lot of work with people who are looking to get sales results, but wouldn't typically call themselves salespeople. The first thing that we have to be convinced on is that we believe the thing we're asking for is worth it in our own mind. Quite simply, if you're not convinced, you cannot convince. So if you want your boss to be able to accept that you're going to be ready for a promotion or to take the lead on a new project or to zag in a different direction, you've got to believe that that's the absolute right thing to be able to do. First sale is on yourself. It isn't yourself. Once you've got that all clear in your mind and you've got absolute confidence you can make a difference, we need to open that conversation with them. Now, if I um, speak to an audience full of people, which I do regularly, if there are a thousand people in the audience, and I ask that room full of people who in the room is open-minded, how many hands do you think shoot up? Almost all of them. Almost all of them. Because what's the alternative to being open-minded? <laughs> I, right, You're not yeah. going to choose that. So... Right. Um, I can use that psychology to my advantage again, when I'm looking to introduce an idea. If I wanted to introduce an idea to my boss, I might say something along the lines of, how open-minded are you at looking at other ways in which we could develop the business? Right. It's almost impossible for them to say, no, 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 closed-minded to that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So they'll come back and say, sure, I'm open-minded. We then need to say, like, to request for some time, right? Instead of of me saying, You know, can you let me know some times that we might better sit down and talk about it? I might say, well, when would be a good time? When would be a good time for us to have maybe 10, 15 minutes for me to bounce a few ideas off you? Because I'd really value your opinion. Now, if I say when would be a good time, I've already assumed within that question that there definitely will be one. I've put all the control on them, but I haven't really given them anywhere to go other than give me an appointment. I framed that appointment with how much time I would need. And I've asked for the one thing that everybody loves to give. The one thing that everybody loves to give is their opinion by asking for it. Then what I've done is I've said, I respect you. I care about you. I want to know what you have to think. It's almost impossible to say no to. Yeah. Um,
1: I like this and we're going to come back. I have a few questions about that, but well, let's just go to this. How do, how do people practice these things? Cause you have some very, um, specific phrases that you suggest people use. Um, And they're obviously well thought out and they have specific meanings. Uh, But we may not get these opportunities a lot. Do you have a way to recommend that people do practice those phrases? Like when would be
0: a good time or how open-minded are you? Sure. I mean, we find ourselves in conversation all day, every day. My encouragement to people listening in right now is stop hiding behind the cell phone. Like if you've got some friends and you're trying to arrange a get together over a weekend for you to all meet up for a cookout or drinks or dinner, pick up the phone and play with some stuff. Like how open-minded would you be to try in that new Chinese restaurant that's just opened up on the hill? Yeah. You know, hey, when would be a good time for me to drop around and pick you up? Like we can play with the word choices in non-threatening environments to give ourselves the opportunity to build confidence. We can do it with shop assistants. We can do it when we're phoning our bank teller. We can do it when we're in the grocery store trying to be able to get somebody to help find something for us. Like the opportunities to play with the ability to influence people through language exist a thousand times a day. It's just most people fail to implement them because what they'd rather do is just read a sign or hide behind a device In order to be able to do that for them. I I really like this. So um, the whole
1: idea of picking up the phone, I mean, this (laughs) is a, this is a theme I'm, I'm working on for the whole year and having people talk. And, and so the natural thing might be in the example you used to text three people at one time, it would be easy to do that. And that, right. and, um, but you could have three conversations, even though it's a little bit more work, you could consider it an investment in your own training and actually get on the phone with your friends about going out for drinks and, and practice those things. And I'm just a big fan of people picking up the phone, which we don't seem to do anymore.
0: And let's play this out because actually picking up the phone can be way more time efficient. Here's what happens otherwise. Let's say there are three of your friends that you're looking to be able to get to, um, to come on a night out. You send the same text message in three different ways of like, hey, we said we should all get together. What are your guys' schedules looking like over the next couple of months for us <laughs> to be able to see when it's going to work? What we now get is somebody ignores it. Somebody responds by saying, like, I can only do Thursday nights and somebody throws in something altogether different. Now, are we further away or closer to being able to having this date locked down? We've actually created pieces of confusion. So what would I do by alternative in this scenario? I'd phone the person that I know is likely to be the difficult, most difficult one to be able to lock down a date. That would be my first phone call. Let's say I'm phoning Chris, I'm phoning Steve, and I'm phoning Sharon. So Steve is the one that is so busy, he's the difficult one to tie down. Steve would be the one I'd call first i say, hi, Steve, it's Phil calling. You know, we said a while back that we should to get together, the four of us, for a few drinks before the year's out. Let me know, what have you got between now and the end of the year that is a time that you have free that might work for us to get together for drinks? So I could then get a time and date back from him. Right. He says, well, look, I've really only got these three dates that are left, but if my preference was anything, it would be you know, Saturday the 23rd of the month cool, right, okay. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, Steve, is I'll call the other two guys, find out where they're at, see if we can get something locked in. Now, my next phone call goes like this. It goes through to Sharon. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to open a phone call. So here is the easiest way to open a phone call. Easiest way to open a phone call is a polite introduction, then a fact, and then a question. Hi, Sharon, Phil calling, right? The polite opening. Where's the fact? Speaking of Steve recently, good news is I've got some times it's going to be available to meet up. There's a fact. Question would be, what would work better for you, a Thursday night or a Saturday?
1: Right. Why wouldn't you just ask? So uh, best
0: night for Steve is Saturday the 23rd. Well, because now what happens is it looks like we're facing this all around Steve. Ah, uh. Now we are, but Sharon doesn't like that. <laughs> So I've given Sharon a choice of two dates and she's come back. What I then do is I then call the third person, say, hey, I've got some good news. It looks like we've got a date. Chatting with Sharon and Steve, plus mine, our schedule seems to be here. So it's just you to confirm. Right. Would you be in a position where you'd be able to get together and move some things around so we can all go for drinks on Saturday, the 23rd? Got it. So to recap. So ironically, what? yeah ironically going the long way around saves everybody a load of time, but who does it keep in control? Yeah. You got it.
1: Yeah. So you, you get the difficult one, <laughs> you give an option to the second one. And the third person really doesn't have much choice. No, they because they, they don't want to be the one who's messing up everybody else's schedule.
0: Right. So now what we have is some leverage on that third person, where if it was going to be 50-50 and that they had some preferences and be able to change it, they've lost the opportunity to be able to do so. Right. Um, yeah, go ahead. And this is what we should be looking to do in, in conversation. So you couldn't do that over text message. You try to do it over email. It's a disaster. I mean, you must even have it with podcast guests trying to get somebody locked into the schedule of when's the right time on the right day with busy people. It's like, come on, let's just pick up the phone and look at both of our schedules and decide when the right time is. Um,
1: So why – I love the whole idea of control and guiding it. It's um, Well, it's exactly what we talked about, being in control of a conversation to get what you want out of it. And there's nothing –
0: There's no evil plot there. It's just good management. And bear in mind what we're looking to be able to do from this control. It's not manipulate anybody towards anything they don't want to do. It's to lead and guide something that has mutual benefit. What you can't do with any of these language patterns is to make somebody do something they fundamentally don't want to do. What we can do, though, is to move people out of that giant gray area of maybe... That huge part of indecision that is standing in most people's way of being able to find clarity and move them towards some form of success, which is decision. Chances are that somebody who has aspirations of wanting to be able to progress through their career and has all these ideas that they would like to better to present towards their boss are things they would do if they got promoted. There's a good possibility that the boss is sat there right now thinking, I wish some people would really stand up and show some intuition and start thinking about some of the things that they could be doing to help grow this business because I feel like I'm sat here doing it all by myself. Because those two people don't talk to each other, they both think that they're both like useless. Right. So this is all
1: good leadership skill. And I mean, it's a a skill at making something happen. You're driving toward an outcome rather than leaning the other way, being what would be my honestly uh, challenge, too polite
0: and missing an opportunity. Right. And because everybody's too polite, what we have is after you know, after you, after you know, after you know, <laughs> after you and everybody stands still. Right. Uh, it reminds me, I can't
1: remember the cartoon when I was young and there's two like uh, vultures sitting on a tree. Do you remember this one? And, and one of them goes, what do you want to do today? And then one goes, well, I don't know what do you want to do. <laughs> and it just went <laughs> back and forth, but yeah. 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 anyway. Um, all right. Last question. So what Why do you think most of us aren't very skilled at these types of conversations where we're trying to get to something?
0: Um, Why do I think most people aren't so skilled? I I guess practice and repetition is one part of it. It's been too easy to not. And we live in an environment where what we can do is that we can get pretty much most of what we want without needing to get into any potentially confrontational conversation. That would be one big reason. I think another reason why we're not so good at it is because we just live in fear of the finish line. Like we just put so much pressure on every conversation that it's to result in like working it out perfectly. And the analogy that I often bring to this is thinking about relationships. Now, if you were to go meet a girl or a guy or whatever your preference is for the very first time, and you started to say, well, this is only successful if what we manage to agree upon tonight is the fact that we're going to spend the rest of our life together and make beautiful babies, then, um chances are that you'll probably put too much pressure on that that you won't even want to turn up. What I'd encourage people to do, particularly with conversations, is to slow the process down, slow the steps down, get somebody to agree to meet you for coffee first before you then decide that what we're going to do is dinner, before what we then decide is that you might choose to go away for a weekend, before what you then might choose to do is to go on a vacation together, before what you then might choose to do is to move in with each other, before what you then might choose to do is to go tell your families. Like it's different things for different people at different times. And the more you can slow the process down, the more you can speed the outcome up. So say, for example, we come back round to the situation that somebody wants to maybe introduce an idea to their boss and they take that, how open-minded would you be process? The very fact that they get the conversation with their boss is progress. Don't call progress the fact that they get the promotion. Progress needs to be that they got the conversation to insert the idea because that idea will germinate even if it doesn't result in the success that you're looking for today. And your success will be the compound effect of the number of positive conversations that you have with other people who can make stuff happen with you. So we have to be starting those conversations to be able to build those reputations, to be able to create more of our chances of our own success. And if I ask again, a room full of people who would like to see themselves as being remarkable, I get the same number of hands as I see go up for open-minded. Everybody wants to be remarkable, but what does the word remarkable mean? It means worthy of remark. It means people are talking about you. People won't talk about you if you're sat there quietly in the background doing nothing other than talking about you as a person who sits in the background quietly not doing anything. That's probably not the reputation anybody's looking to build. Right.
1: Well, Phil Jones, it has been a pleasure having this conversation with you today. Where should folks go if they want to learn or hear more from you?
0: Um, website's a great place to start, philmjones.com. If people want to plug into some of the word choices stuff or learn more about any of the things that they could do to sell more effectively, particularly if they're not a salesperson, but have to sell in their role as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a professional, then, um, yeah, two of my books online would be a great place to go, which is exactly what to say and exactly how to sell. You can find those on Amazon. And, um, what else? Is um, come stop by and find me on social media. All the links are on my website. And um, Phil M Jones UK is primarily the uh, the handle that runs through all the social sites. I love to hear what people are up to, where they're taking action, and the work they're choosing to put into practice from anything they've seen from me.
1: Nice. So I will uh, I will put a link to those things on show notes for this page. Um, you were kind enough to send me the exactly what to say book, which I'm enjoying. I recommend people look at it. Um, I know that you also have a podcast out there on uh, SoundCloud about the same thing, which is really, um, I I really enjoyed. So if if you're an audio person like me, and if you're listening to
0: this, you might be You can get it that way too. So Yeah. My audiobooks just gone live today. So I'm super psyched about the fact that the uh, exactly what to say is just being made available on audiobook nice. via Audible and all the other places. So that's a fun thing that I'm um, I'm excited to see what people respond with.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Well, thank you once again for sharing all this great information with us today. You're very welcome. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. The idea of practicing these skills might seem awkward to you. But you probably know someone who's really good at this stuff and you admire them. So I want to encourage you to give it a shot. Hey, I want to tell you about a little passion project I'm doing. It's another podcast in a completely different format. The podcast is called Flip Turns. And while it centers around my love of swimming, you're going to hear some pretty inspiring stories, even if swimming isn't your thing. Search Flip Turns on your podcast app or go to flip-turns.com to listen on the web. Let me know what you think. I've got one episode done. I'm working on another one that's going to be really fantastic and I will talk to you next time.